Scripture reading this morning comes from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Revelation 1, 4 through 8. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, and to him be glory and domination forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Good morning. It's good to be here this morning. We're going to move on from last week. The last two weeks we looked at Isaiah 53. Very good study, I believe. And I want to take a look now at the seven churches of Asia. And so that's what Chris has read for us this morning. I think there's much that we can learn from this text. I remember Jim, when the book of Revelation came up, Jim would always preach the seven churches of Asia, and he would reference chapters 4 and 5, and then he would go to chapter 21 and 22. And the stuff in between there can get a little bit complicated and overwhelming. This morning, we're going to look at these churches of the seven churches of Asia, and I think there's much that we can learn from them as a congregation, as a church. I was specifically going to be looking this morning at the church that abandoned or left its first love, as the scriptures say. And this is uh, John. John is recording the words of Christ to the church there at Ephesus. And we want to look at some more details of that. So when we look at Paul's missionary journeys, he went from Athens, there he spoke in Areopagus. From there he went to Corinth, established the church there. His intentions were to go to Jerusalem, and as the scriptures say in Acts, he traveled from Corinth to Caesarea. And very clearly there, and quickly, the book of Acts says he was in Antioch. And then he came into Ephesus. He had not been here before, but there were some disciples there that he had baptized. I want to give you some more context here from Acts chapter 18 and what happened in Ephesus. So Paul comes and he preaches and he baptizes a number there. He had only been baptized in the baptism of John. And we read about that in Acts chapter 19. We also read this, that he reasoned and persuaded boldly, but some spoke evil of the way. And when they did that, after he'd been speaking there for a little bit of, I think about three months, he moved into the, the school of Tyrannus. And it says there in the scriptures in Acts 18 and verse 20, that the word increased and prevailed mightily. A lot of extraordinary things happened with Paul there. People were healed by touching him or touching an apron that he had or coming near him in his presence. And so people knew of the healings and the wonderful things that were happening through him. In fact, in the course, there were the sons of Sceva, you might remember in the text. Very strange occasion where these Jewish exorcists tried to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus Christ, and that demon came upon them. And they ran out wounded and naked. Kind of a strange event there, but it did happen, and all the people learned of it. People even gathered from there. They gathered their books of magic and things, and they piled them together, and they burned them. They were putting an end to this evil. And then toward the end, there was one man who is the trade of serving the goddess Artemis there, also known as Diana, who started a riot both places in this scripture, Ephesus knew the Christian faith as the way. And here, 
Paul had to leave uh, after this event, but there's a riot that, occurs to, that rose up here in opposition to the gospel because people stopped worshiping this God. I wanted to give you the context this morning of what's going on here in Ephesus before we, we read from Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. That'll be our main reading for this morning. But I also want to address this. Why study the seven churches of Asia? Now, we're not talking about Asia, the continent. We're talking about Asia Minor, the nation there. If you have your Bible and you turn to the map in the back, maybe you know where Jerusalem is, where Israel is. You could probably look off from the coast and, and see the island of uh, Cyprus. And you look up there and there's a land right there. Today it's Turkey. It's known as the Anatola. And there on the western coast is the city of Ephesus. In fact, Revelation has the seven churches of Asia. These are on trade route with one another. And this is where Revelation leads us to these seven churches. Jesus, this is what the things that stand out to me about the seven churches of Asia. Jesus spoke directly to them. If you have a red letter Bible and you open up to Revelation chapter 2, you have the words of Christ. You have Christ speaking to those churches. And yet, he also says later on, and John records this, Jesus says, listen to what the Spirit has to say. Anybody will, who will hear. So not only were, the set, were these letters, these, these, uh, this address to the seven churches of Asia, they were also to everybody who would hear the truth. So again, it applies to us today. The seven churches of Asia, they, were, they resemble the state of churches today. So as we look at ourselves and we wonder, what would Christ say to Dean Rowe today? Of these seven churches of Asia, five of them are told to correct their ways, to repent. Would he tell Dean Rowe we need to repent? Or would he speak to us like one of the other two that were right, like Philadelphia? Tell us to continue in doing what is good. So I think as we look at this, we're going to learn much from what Christ has to say to this church, the church in Ephesus at this state. I think another thing we get from this, especially this morning from the beginning of Ephesians 2, is that correct teaching matters. Correct doctrine, sound doctrine, as someone might say it, matters. In other words, theology matters. What you believe matters. And Jesus will encourage this church at Ephesus, you're teaching the right things and you're believing the right things, but I have this against you. He has something against them. And we're going to look a little bit closer to that, that they have left their first love. We also see this, that John here, he's commanded by Christ. I want you to write what takes place. And again, he addresses the seven churches. Why not all people? Well, again, it kind of is addressed to all people. I think we can see characteristics about these churches among congregations today. The context, again, is Jesus commanding John. This is what he says here in Revelation 1.17. Fear not, I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen and those that are, and those that are to take place after this. And that is our introduction to Revelation, the revelation to John. John, here Jesus encouraging, instructing John to write. I want to get to our reading this morning. Before I read from Revelation 2, 1 through 7, and if you have your Bible, I encourage you to get it out, look at it, make your own observations. This is what stands out to me about this church and Christ speaking to the church at Ephesus. In addition to John writing, Christ commanded an angel to write. And he speaks to this angel, and he tells the angel as well, the angel of the church to write. 
And he also says, this is what the Spirit says to the churches. And I think there's a lot to be said right there about the inspiration of Scripture. Notice here about the, the passage here. Christ is speaking to the church. He's giving a message to the angel of the church who's also bringing that message to them here in writing this text. The angels are noted in Hebrews chapter 2 as being there in a part of Revelation and helping with the, the, the process of bringing Scripture. Number three, I see this, that it's also the Holy Spirit that's speaking. Yes, it's in red. Christ spoke it. The angel is writing it. The Spirit is speaking it and guiding it as well. And then on top of that, you can add John, an inspired apostle of Christ, who is also revealing this. As we look at the Scripture, this is word that's from God. It's something we should be taking very seriously. And we see the detail in which God has inspired and brought this, this Scripture to, to be. Jesus first mentioned the good that this church did. And, and most of the time, he does that. Most of the time when Jesus speaks to these churches, he says, you're doing this right, and you're doing this right. But there is an occasion in Revelation where he goes out and he just tells the congregation, you are lukewarm. He doesn't hide the fact from them. But with this church at Ephesus, he talks about this church. He says, you've endured in the name of Christ. You've probably, because we were reading Revelation here, they've gone through persecutions. They endured hard times. You've done it in the name of Christ. He says, you also do not bear with evil people. Think about that today. Today, the world wants to tell us you need to bear and to tolerate evil in your midst. Jesus says to them, as John is writing it, that they, this congregation, did not bear with evil people. And Jesus is commanding them for that. And then it says that they tested the false apostles. This reminds me of what John said in 1 John 4, to test the prophets, test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. These are the good things they were doing. This is the character I see about this church here is that, and maybe this is what we see in, in a lot of churches today, they stood for sound doctrine. They said, what we want is the truth. We want God's word, and they will test anybody who will say anything different. But Ephesus, this church still had a problem still had an issue with it. So that's what I also observe here. Jesus corrected this church for leaving their first love. In fact, the, the passage seems to indicate you left your first love, and because you left your first love, and there's been a lot of ink and a lot of people who have written about, what was this church? What did they leave? What did they give up that was their first love? Because they kept the doctrine and they endured persecution for the name of Christ, but they still left the first love, and they had, they had gone away from the first works that they had done. So those are my observations there. Let's read the text, see if you see more here. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his hands and walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's Christ. These are the words of Christ is what he's saying. If you read the context of chapter 1, he describes himself in that way, that Christ walked among the seven lampstands, the seven churches of Asia. In verse 2, I know your works and your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil. But I've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. He praises them for these things. Now look here in verse 3. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But listen to this. Imagine if Christ said this to, to the church today. He said this to Dean Road, but I have this against you. Verse 4, I have this against you. 
What if Christ were to say that to you personally? I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So one thing that stands out here is Christ says in Revelation 3, he says, to those I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. Christ is doing that here. He's telling this church, you've left your first love. I'm going to come with judgment. Remove your lampstand if you do not repent. Look at verse 6. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's not just written for this church. It's written for everybody. If you have the ability to hear, listen to what Christ has said. Listen to what the Spirit has said to these churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Repent. I hear the love of Christ in this statement. I hear him addressing this church. I think it's one that we need to consider and think of today. I think the first question that comes to our mind is, how can a church go back to its first love? How can a church leave its first love in the, in the first place? What was it that, that was about them? When you think about a new church, what characteristic stands out to you about them? Someone goes to a new place, they're evangelizing, they're teaching the gospel, they're passionate, they have a love for the first thing. They have a love and they're committed to those first works. I think our indication is right there. With Ephesus, these Christians have drifted away. The first love they gave up on. They didn't give up on the doctrine of Christ. They didn't give up on enduring or standing for truth or, or saying this is what is right and we're going to reject false teachers. They didn't give up on that. You look at how a church is in the beginning. The work that it does. The love that it shows. It's evangelistic effort. It's passion. It's commitment. Many of us, when we were Christians, when we were baptized, what was the first thing we wanted to do when we were baptized? Do you want to go tell others? Do you want to share the gospel with others? You had a great desire there. When I see the, the character here, the church at Ephesus, this is what stands out to me, that they've gotten away from what new churches do. From what churches do when they first have the gospel, when they know how much it stirs them in their heart, motivates them for the love of Christ to do good to others and to share the truth. I think it's highly probable that these churches moved away from evangelism. Maybe in the face of persecution and those around them, they would not stand up. But you know, when we went back and we looked at Acts 18 in the very beginning of the study, that's why I reviewed it. Did Paul face persecution? Yes. He's gone for a while and Apollos has gone for a while. And here John is writing to them. And John is going to, according to history, going to end up in Ephesus. Maybe this church's leadership had it, it, it lost that influence. Paul has written to them. We have the book of Ephesians in the Bible. You could kind of call this letter the second letter to the Ephesians. And Jesus, again, he, he, he does this. He says, remember. In other words, you were doing it. You know what you were doing. And you've fallen away from it. He says, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Over and over again, the Scriptures tell us to repent. I ask you this morning, look at yourself. Look at the congregation here. What would Christ say to us? Would He speak to us like the church at Ephesus say, you've lost your first love. You quit doing the first works. 
As a Christian, can you look and say, I was baptized when I was saved. My life changed. The way that I live changed, but now I've drifted away from that. I don't act like that anymore. I encourage you this morning to think of those things. So what is the first love of a Christian and the first love of the first church? When we go to Acts chapter 2, we see the church is evangelistic. The apostles are declaring the truth. They're standing up. They're saying, yes, Jesus died, and he died for you, and he was buried in the grave, and his grave is found empty. That's what Peter preached. And just as Scripture had prophesied, Jesus rose from the dead, and you should believe. We see that church being in fellowship with one another, sharing with one another, uh, breaking bread with one another. Those were the things that the church did in the very beginning. Even in the face of persecution, when the apostles were persecuted, God said, go back to the temple and preach, and they did it. In Acts chapter 8, Saul begins persecuting the church. And what happens to the Christians there? It says they spread out. And when they spread out, they preach the gospel. So when I hear John addressing Ephesus here and telling them you left, you've left your first love, I continue to look back at Acts and I think, what was it? What was there in the very beginning with these first churches? They had a desire and a passion to teach the truth. And yet Christ warns them. Repent. Repent. A number of reasons we need to be studying the churches of Asia and looking at them. Today, someone hears you say the word repent, they kind of want to turn it off. You're one of those fundamentalists, carry around your Bible and you believe it and you hold to it. If you use the word repent, a lot of people are afraid of that. They back away from it. A lot of people don't even know what the word means anymore. And throughout Revelation, the Scriptures tell us to repent. The idea there is to change your mind, but to change it in such a way that you put away evil. You put away those evil deeds. So you think about these churches. And I urge you to think of the seven, uh, the, these seven churches and the five of them that Christ said to repent. There's nothing wrong with us saying, I need to repent. There's nothing wrong with a congregation saying, Christ wants us to repent. Christ wants us to go back to our first work. I hope this is a reflection of your own, and the conclusions you reach this morning are your own. Do I need to repent? Have I drifted away from how I first served God? In the church of Ephesus, we know that Paul wrote them. We have some description about their love and the things that they struggle with. In Paul's letter, he wrote the Ephesians about their unity, and he wrote about the purpose of the church. It doesn't seem that this church has gotten away from that. Does it seem that they've drifted away from sound doctrine and holding up the truth? Not at all. Paul wrote to them, and he talks about how, what they struggle with. They struggle with personal sins. They struggle with the sins of their tongue in Ephesians chapter 4. They struggle with resentment and anger. They struggle with sexual sins. They struggle with things in their marriages. And I wonder if those are the things that led to them being distracted from their first love, being inactive in the church and teaching the truth. I think we should listen to John and listen to Christ and listen to Paul and what he said. Even with Paul's instruction and other great teachers, this church began to lose its way so that Paul had to encourage it to repent. I give you this challenge this morning. How would Jesus exhort and challenge this church? This is good for the church to test teachers, those who claim to be leaders. Yes, it is. Nothing wrong with that. The Bible tells us to. You need to be upholding God's word. Peter says those who speak must speak the oracles of God. Is it good that this church did not tolerate evil and that it hated the works of the Nicolaitans and other false teachings? Yes, that's good. We want to continue to do that. However, has this church 
left its first love and its first works. Where is Dean Road today? When we study these churches of Asia, when I ask that question, do we match a few of them, some of them? How does this personally relate to me? We've lost our first love. Here in Revelation 2, in the very last verse, Jesus encourages this congregation to repent. He describes the tree of life. He says there is a place for those who have conquered. This is how you conquer. You stand for truth. You remain committed to God, and you'll have eternal life. This morning, I encourage you, the Bible says, if you want your sins blotted out, Acts 3 and verse 19, you've got to repent. If you're not a Christian yet, you've got to believe, and you've got to confess that faith. Then repent of your sins. Be baptized with Christ and rise to the newness of life. Saving faith produces action, produces faithfulness unto death. John also encouraged the next church here, and he tells them it's a good church that's in good order. And he says to them, in spite of their persecution and things they endured, he says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. This morning, if you want eternal life, you want to partake of the tree of life, of eternal life in paradise, you've got to remain faithful unto death. If you need to obey the gospel this morning, we encourage you to do so. If you need to repent, do it. Christ would have you to do it. He would command you to do it. Anybody who needs encouragement now and you need prayers, we encourage you to come right now while we stand and while we sing. Please come.